Uh, great to be with you. Uh, yeah, I was able to join um, with you guys last week, and I was saying in the, in the morning, it feels like, um, like it's a family reunion after uh, some time away, coming back together again, uh, seeing your faces. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Um, my name, I, yeah, I introduced myself before. Uh, I'm Nick. Um, it's, just a, it's just a habit at this point. <laughs> Uh, but that's all right. Hey, why don't we um, start the sermon with Scripture? That's usually a good place to start. So why don't you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. That's what we're looking at tonight. Mark chapter 2. It'll also be on the screen uh, above us. And um, uh, the translation on the screen is slightly different to the NIV. I've, I've um, updated a couple of things. Call it the Nick Van Ruth version. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. Um, but that's all right. Points to whoever can tell me what the differences are later. Anyway, so Mark chapter 2, um, verse 1 to 12. A few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he'd come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, some men came, bringing with them a paralyzed man uh, carried by four of them. And since they could not get through to Jesus uh, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what this was that they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, uh, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I wonder, uh, how's your 2020 going? Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been an interesting year. Um, who remembers slow news days? Where, you know, days where nothing happened and the news had nothing to report. Uh, I, feel, I feel like it was before our time, <laughs> before we were born, they had days like that. Now, it just seems like there's so many uh, issues coming up. Con it's like controversy after controversy. And um, the news is Jack is full of controversies or controversies, if you're from the States. Things that uh, have happened that kind of shake our foundations, that kind of shake the narrative that we're living in, that we're living by. And I think what, uh, what draws us to controversy and, what, and why controversy sells and why, why newspaper kind of sell are sold by reporting on, on controversial issues is because controversies challenge 
us. It challenges our worldview. It challenges the narrative we're living in. And it forces us to question, what is real? What is true? And what are we going to do about it? And, uh, and as we come, we're, we're preaching through the gospel of Mark as we're as we, in this season of coming back together again. We're focusing on Jesus. And, and Mark kind of unpacks the greatest controversy of all time. Mark's gospel begins by saying the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what Mark's all about. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God entering into the world and bringing God's kingdom into our world. The biggest controversy of all time. And as we're, we're looking through it, we're coming now to uh, kind of our second um, sermon in the series uh, where we're looking at a, a very common and well-known story of a paralytic uh, lowered from the roof, uh, healed in a very controversial way, very controversial way. And so what we're, what we're going to do is we're, I'm going to retell the story and jump in and out, make some observations as we go, but draw our attention to two controversies. And at the end, we're, I'm going to ask some questions to, for us to take away and think about. <clears throat> So as we get to our story, Jesus is returning to Capernaum. He's already been in Capernaum, and he was actively healing and preaching, and he was preaching with authority, and people were, were, uh, loved his teaching. But it got to the point that people were coming to receive healing that he couldn't actually achieve his purpose, which was to preach on the kingdom of God, of God's kingdom coming into the world. So he had to leave Capernaum for a bit. And now we get, he's come back. He's come back and he's gone to Peter's house, probably where, where he healed Peter's mother. And, uh, and the crowd hears about it. And so they, they gather around him. They go to hear this great preacher. They go to see this great healer. And as they gather, it's, the, the house quickly fills up to the point the house is full. They spill out into the road uh, outside the door. Like, this is very un-COVID safe. Had to throw that joke in. <laughs> it's a crowded room, and Jesus preaches the word to them. He's teaching them of the kingdom of God, God coming into the world. And as that's happening, there's these guys who are bringing along their friend who's paralyzed, who can't walk. And when they, when they reach Peter's house where Jesus is, they come across a problem. The great crowd, they can't get through. This crowd, you know, they can't push people around and, and or politely ask people to move. The crowd is just far too big for them to get their friend to Jesus. And so instead of going through the problem, these guys are very uh, imaginative and creative. They go over the problem. They go and uh, jump on the roof. Now, back in houses uh, in the first century, they didn't have... Um, uh, triangular roofs like we often have. They were kind of like boxes and it was a flat roof so they could hop on top and start digging down. And can you imagine the scene inside the house uh, as Jesus is preaching and teaching with authority, everyone clinging to his every word, just like here tonight. Uh, <laughs> and then out of, out of nowhere, there's a bit of rubble that falls from the roof on top of Jesus. And, uh, but, and, but, you know, I wonder, did he keep preaching? And as this, as this uh, hole kind of opens up and appears in the roof, Jesus continued to preach and teach. Or I don't know if he was distracted. I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> I'm easily distracted. But soon this, this hole is six feet wide. 
this massive hole in the roof, and, and out from that hole comes a, a stretcher dropped right on top of Jesus. That's what the text says. It's, it's where Jesus was. They lowered the stretcher. So no doubt he stepped back. And this man is there, sitting there, lying there in front of him. And Jesus sees the faith of the friends and he responds to it. It's interesting uh, to take note that Mark actually has a whole heap of examples. And all of the Gospels have lots of examples of Jesus responding to faith. And that when people come and they come uh, with faith and they're either asking for healing or they've got a prayer request or something, that uh, Jesus responds uh, either by healing them or answering their prayer. But unfortunately, some people take that and they, they, they push it to a place that's unhelpful and instead of um, and kind of warping the idea of salvation by faith into salvation by faith that's actually a work. Salvation by faith that's actually a work. And how they do this is they say, if, if you want healing or if, you want, if you're praying to God, the way to, get, to be healed, the way to um, get the answer to prayer is by, by trusting more. If you believe enough, if you trust enough, if you devote yourself enough, God... And see, that's not, that's not true. It's not about the amount of faith. Jesus himself said later in Matthew 17, you get a faith as small as a mustard seed and you can move a mountain. So it's not about the amount of faith. It's about who the faith is in. It's about who the faith is in. Even these guys, uh, this paralytic, it wasn't his faith that Jesus was impressed with. It was the faith of the friends. We don't even know if he was complicit in this. Like he could have, he could have been, you know... Maybe, I don't know if I'll be too embarrassed to go to this great preacher for healing, but, you know, this guy, he couldn't walk, so he couldn't do anything about it when they started carrying him to Jesus. It's not his faith that Jesus is responding to, it's to the faith of the friend. And it's, and it's because it's not about the amount of faith, it's about who the faith is in. And these guys, they did everything within their power to bring their friend to Jesus, to the one person they knew could bring healing into his life. And so Jesus recognizes their faith and he responds to it by saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. And that is the controversial statement. That is where the controversy comes out. Now, I think it's actually it's controversial for different reasons today than it was back then. Uh, we'll talk about this in a sec, but back then it's controversial because this is, you know, Jesus claiming to be God and having the authority for, to forgive sins. But I think for a lot of us who've kind of grown up in the church, recognize the idea that, you know, Jesus is God is, is something that we, we kind of know we've been taught as we've been brought up. So that's, that's not that controversial. But what I think we find controversial today, something we don't like talking about, is what, when they come for healing... This guy can't walk, and they come for healing. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And it suggests that suffering, below suffering, is sin. That sin leads to suffering. And that's something quite controversial for us to think about today. It's like if you were to go to a doctor and you had a broken leg... And uh, the doctor says, 
your sins are forgiven. That's ridiculous. Now, these men... Um, uh, sorry, yeah. And this was, a well un- this was a well understood concept back then. It, it wasn't as controversial back in the first century as it might be today. In fact, later on in John 9, uh, at, a, at a different time, the disciples were talking to Jesus. They saw a blind man and they said to Jesus, who sinned so that this man became blind? Was it uh, him or his father? And so they understood that there's this connection between sin and suffering. But in, in that case, Jesus said it wasn't because of his sin or his father's sin. It was so that the Son of Man might be glorified. And so it's not necessarily the case that uh, this man had, had sinned in some way and that directly led to his suffering. It's not saying that. But what it is saying is that below every problem is a deeper problem, a deeper issue, and that's sin. And this goes right back to the beginning, right back to the beginning. The very first book of the Bible is Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. And in Genesis, uh, we hear of God creating the world. And he creates the world, and it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's balanced. The environment is, is, is balanced. And Adam and Eve, the first people, they walk with God. They've got an intimate relationship with God. But then something happens, and everything changed. They disobeyed the one commandment that God gave them, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate it not because they were hungry, not because they were curious, but because they, they wanted to be like God. They didn't want God's authority and God's rule over their lives, so they rebelled against him in their hearts they turned away from God in their hearts and, and went against his instructions. And in doing so, ever since then, all of humanity has been cursed by sin. In our hearts, we have all turned away from God. And so the good, beautiful world that God had created was broken. And now the environment is not in balance. Suffering and disease entered into the world. And from that first sin, that first act of disobedience, it quickly escalated into blame, into shame, into guilt and, and murder not long after. And so sin is not just doing what we, we know we shouldn't, but it's a problem in our hearts. It's our, our hearts, our being, our person turned away from God. All these things, the acts, the sin, the the actions, are just symptoms of a deeper problem. And since that beginning, uh, the Bible shows us, and really all of history shows us, that below every conflict, every corruption, all guilt, shame, poverty, disease, below it all is a deeper problem that we've turned our hearts away from God. And we are sinners. And this is controversial. This is controversial. No one likes talking about sin, not even in the church. And it clashes with the narrative that we live in. You know, that the, the, the narrative, the story we're told, what we're, what we're taught, that humanity is inherently good, that it's good to follow your heart, 
that uh, you know we get to decide what is right and wrong based on what feels right and pleasurable, that we're rulers of our own lives, that we are accountable to ourselves and no one else. That's not true. That's not true. There's a bigger, a much bigger problem below the surface. And we don't like admitting there's a problem. We've turned from God in our hearts. And in doing so, we've separated ourselves from him. And that's a problem only God can solve. Although other industries uh, and as the society around us try and sell us their products by convincing us that, that they can solve our problems, they've got the solution, they'll make our lives better, but it, it never addresses the core issue. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. You have to take the bullet out first. Now, it's interesting to think about the connection between faith and medicine. Because, uh, of course, modern medicine mostly stems out of uh, uh, Christian origin. Christians were the first ones to build hospitals. Christians were the first ones to establish universities that led to medical research. And so uh, modern medicine really has a faith origin. But now, most medicine is kind of disconnected from faith and disconnected from spirituality. They focus on the science and the, um, the medicine of curing disease or curing ailment and, and the physical side of things and, and kind of don't want to mention faith things like sin or, or spirit because that might distract or confuse people. But it's interesting to think about the difference between curing and healing. The difference between a cure and healing. So take coronavirus. The, the world is desperate for a cure for coronavirus. We're desperate for that vaccination. But you know what? We need healing more. We need healing from the pain it's caused. We need healing from the social isolation that it's forced us into. We need healing from the economic and the social and the emotional uh, fallout from this pandemic. We need healing from the selfishness it's uncovered in all of us. And that healing comes through the forgiveness of our sin. Healing comes from dealing with the, our deepest problem. Now, that's not to say that medicine and, and physical healing is not important. Like, Jesus was very active in healing people. And, uh, and you know, granted, you don't put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, but after you take a bullet out, you bandage the wound. Jesus sees this man in front of him, and he sees the symptoms of a deeper problem, and he goes straight to that problem. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And that, that brings us to the second controversy, uh, the one that scribes uh, at the time recognized and, and objected to. In their minds, they thought, uh, who is this man? How can he talk this way? He's blaspheming. He's claiming to do something that only God can do. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, Jesus hears what they're thinking. Now that, and that's a scary thought, that Jesus can hear what we're thinking. 
Uh, but just here's what they're thinking, and he asked them two questions. The first one, he says, why do you think these things? Why do you think these things? There's this man who is hurting, who's, who's suffering, who's come before Jesus, and Jesus begins healing him, but the scribes start debating and, and objecting. I wonder what the answer was. Why did they think these things? Why did they object to Jesus in this way? Was it because they were threatened by his authority? In Mark uh, chapter 1, it talked about Jesus' authority. He preached with authority, not like the scribes. Were they threatened by the authority he taught with? Were they threatened by the idea of sin, that they actually have to deal with the deep problems underneath? You couldn't just cover it up with, with religion or, or works or whatever else. You actually had to deal with this. Were they unco- uncomfortable with that? Were they uncomfortable with the idea that here is Jesus, this man who comes and says, your sins are forgiven, and that undoes the narrative that they're trying to build to tell people the way to be right with God is by living a certain way and doing a certain thing and by being a certain way. Are they, are they worried they're undermining the narrative, the worldview they're, they're building? The second question Jesus asks is, which is easier? Which is easier? Is it easier to say to the man, your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? And what Jesus is doing here is using a a typical uh, teaching technique, very common to the time. He uses a few other places uh, where you prove you can do something by doing something harder. So if if this is harder and this is easier, I can do this thing if I can do the harder thing. And so for the scribes and Pharisees and everyone listening in, the the easier task is to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to verify that. Well, I can't say to someone your sins are forgiven and then by looking at them tell whether that worked or not. But if someone comes in with a broken leg and I, I say, get up and walk and your leg's healed, it's a pretty easy way to check if that worked. It's a pretty easy way to check if I'm legit or not. But Jesus says to the uh, sorry Jesus um, he says to the Pharisees so that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins so that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins he turns to the man and he says get up take your mat and walk now we'll just take a, a step back and a step out for a second and look at the word Son of Man. That's how Jesus refers to himself, and it's actually his favorite way of referring to himself. Uh, and it's, it's actually quite unique to the time, uh, and sorry, unique in the time, uh, uh, in the first century. Uh, and it had a couple of, of meanings, and it was a bit vague and confusing. The first meaning in, in the um, Greek-Roman world, it kind of meant uh, a person, a son of man, like a, a human being. And it was a way to refer to yourself like, this guy here is preaching to all of you. So it's like, it kind of got that kind of connotation. But in the Jewish world, it, it refers back to a prophecy in Daniel, uh, where Daniel prophesies that there is one, a son of man, who would come from heaven into the world and bring rule, reign, dominion, for authority forever. And so it's referring to the promised king who would come from heaven and rule 
the kingdom of God. It's about God entering the world. And I think Jesus uses this name to refer to himself, to force people to consider, who is this man? Is he just a man? Or is he the son of God? Who is this man? And he says to the scribes, so that you may know the son of man has authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic. He says, get up, take your mat and go home. And the paralytic who was lowered from the roof on a stretcher stands up, picks up the stretcher he was brought in on and walks out in front of everyone. And they're amazed and they praise God and they say, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus proves that he has the authority to forgive sin. And that is the biggest controversy our world has ever seen. That our biggest problem is sin and that Jesus is the only one who has authority to forgive. We can't solve our sin. We can't cover it over or work at it or fix it. That's a problem that we can't fix. And, and no, nor can anyone else. Our government can't fix it. Pastors can't fix it for you. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. And he has. Now, for the, far, uh, the scribes and those listening in, the easier task was to say your sins are forgiven. Uh, but for Jesus, which one was actually easier and which one was harder? We, are no, we already know from Mark chapter 1 that Jesus has already been very active healing people. And it seems that he had no trouble uh, healing people with minimal effort. And so we know that comes you know, fairly easily to him. But what did it cost for him to forgive this man's sin? Because, of course, it's not, you know, sin is this deep problem. It's not a status that you can just turn on and off. It's not just a label that he gives to the man, you know, now you're forgiven. Because it's a deep, deep problem. He didn't just uh, transform this man into righteous and, and forgiven. Because there's this problem that needs to be dealt with. He'd, like all of us, we've turned our hearts from God. There's a problem that needs to be solved. And so what Jesus did... To, t- to forgive this man's sin, and what he does to take on to forgive all of our sin, is he took it upon himself when he died on the cross. He paid the price so that our debt could be forgiven. Forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is not free. It cost Jesus his life but he offers it to us for anyone who believes in him. And just like healing the paralytic, Jesus proves that he had authority to forgive this man's sin. Jesus rose from the dead. And that proves that that in Jesus, in that resurrection, we too have new life. We're forgiven. But even more than that, we're given a brand new life to live with hearts after God, restored, renewed, healed, forgiven. In Isaiah 53, 5, and this should come up, uh, another prophet writing about 500, 600 years before Jesus uh, came around on earth, 
It says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is the greatest controversy of all time. That we are sinners, but Jesus is our saviour. Jesus has authority and power to deal with our deepest problem. And it's true. It's real. So what are we going to do about it? And so to finish up, I've got three questions for us. The first one, and they'll come up on the screen, the first one is, are we serious about sin? Are we serious about sin? If, if our deepest problem in the world is sin, do we take it seriously? Do we take it seriously? Has, have we become complacent uh, with, with sin, with what we do and how we act and what we think in our hearts? Are we too tolerant for sin in our own lives? The things we do, what we say, the habits that we're establishing, are we okay with that? And should we? Now, sin, again, sin is not just doing what we think is right or wrong or living by our own morality. You know, thinking either that, you know, it's okay as long as no one knows or it's okay as long as no one's hurt or, uh, you know, if, if everyone else is doing it, it must be okay. And so defining for ourselves what is right and wrong based on either what we think or what everyone else is doing. But if our hearts are turned away from God, then our own sense of morality is flawed. It is broken. It is corrupt. And so instead of just doing what we think is right and living by our own standard, it's actually turning to God and living by His and finding in His Word what is right and true. Now, I'm not saying that you know, we just need to do better and, uh, you know, just sin less. I'm saying we need to come to Jesus more. Come to him for forgiveness, for healing, for transformation. Actually do something about the sin in our lives. You know, sin is not to be tolerated in a Christian's life because that's not who we are. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been transformed by Christ. And so we're to work hard to, to deal with our sin and constantly coming to Jesus for forgiveness, knowing that we are forgiven. The second question I have for us is, do we care about the lost like the four friends? Do we care about the lost like the four friends? I'm really struck by the effort these guys took to get this guy, to their paralytic friend to Jesus. Like, they, you know, carrying him... Uh, over the, on top of the crowd, on top of the roof, uh, the damage they caused to Peter's house. Like, poor Peter's mum. Like, I hope they paid for the damages afterwards. Because like, to fit a man in a stretcher is a six-foot-wide hole in the roof. The effort they took to get this man to Jesus is astounding. Yet I get embarrassed uh, when, I, when, I, when people ask me about Jesus. Or when a non-Christian asks me what I do for work, I have to explain to them I'm a Christian pastor. 
it's tough. Like, but why? But why? What about my friends and family? Do I care about them like this, these guys care for this lost soul? If sin is the biggest problem in the world, why are we not talking about it more? Why are we not vocal and public about this uh, uh, inherent issue in all humanity that we are sinners, we've turned away from God, and we need Jesus? Why are we not more public with our faith? It's... Why are we not pointing people to Jesus? Do we pray for our friends and family, those close to us who we love? Do we pray for them that they would come to know the Savior of our deepest problem, of their deepest problem, the issues that they face? Do we pray that they would find forgiveness for their sin, that they would, be, they would come back to God? Do we pray that God would use us that God would work through us to, to share Jesus with them. It's a dangerous pray, prayer to pray, and God answers it. Do we care about the lost like these four friends? The last question I have for us is, have we been forgiven like the paralytic? Have we been forgiven? Now, I don't know what um, hurt or, or baggage or whatever uh, we're coming with tonight, what's been going on in the week at home or uh, in your heart, or even we think about global events at the moment, what we need is forgiveness. Maybe there's uh, a conflict uh, that we're caught up in, or, or an addiction that we can't shake, or a sinful habit that we just can't seem to break. And maybe we think, how could God possibly forgive me? You know, I keep going back to this thing. I keep doing this. Or I've, I've got this past that, that, you know, surely God can't forgive that. But Jesus has proven he has authority to forgive sin. He has authority to forgive. And he's got the power to forgive our deepest, darkest problems. Jesus, it took him to the cross, the price he paid. He's covered all sin once and for all. And so God will forgive you. Jesus will forgive you. And I wonder who here might need healing. You know, there, there's, you know, there's, uh, we can, we might be broken or hurt and um, need physical or emotional or spiritual healing. And underneath all that is we need the healing that comes from the forgiveness of our sin. That, we, that sin, that brokenness is taken away and God restores us to him. When we come to Jesus broken, in him we are restored. And so maybe, maybe we need to do that tonight. Maybe there's some here who even for the first time, or if you're watching online, uh, you need to come to Jesus, actually deal with this deep problem. Maybe you've never thought about it, or even growing up in the church, just this dark problem of sin is something that's never been dealt with. And maybe tonight's the night, or as, as a Christian who has, whose sins are forgiven, there might be things that we're struggling in, or chains that need to be broken, that are only broken by the work that Christ has done. 
And so tonight, I want to I pray a prayer uh, really for all of us, but it's a prayer that's asking for forgiveness. And uh, if, you, if you feel like you need uh, that work in your heart, that you need forgiveness for sin, whether the first time or, or the millionth, then I, I'd, I'd ask that you pray this with me. And so I'm going to pray this prayer, and then the band's going to come up. We'll also have a couple of people in the back corner here uh, available for prayer as well, to, to, to talking about this or whatever else you might want to um, ask for prayer or just chat about. But why don't you please pray this prayer with me as we come to the cross of Jesus. Jesus, I'm hurting I'm broken. Deep down, my heart has turned away from you. And I've gone my own way. God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Restore me. And renew me. Thank you for the work on the cross that brings forgiveness. Thank you that through your resurrection, we have new life. Thank you that your Holy Spirit draws us close to you. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Change me. And use me to share the truth about who you are with everyone around me. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.